Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. In looking at the statements of the Restoration Movement when it was founded, one of the statements is truth first, union afterwards, and union only in truth. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We live in a world where a lot of people want the... the, There are a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians who want, I don't know if the easy way out, they don't want to offend anybody. They want to get along with everybody, and surely we can work with everybody out there, and everybody will love us. And that doesn't line up at all with what Jesus said that if you follow him, even your own family uh, may have trouble getting, getting along with you, and that's okay. That's what we're called to do. Christians are only united with other Christians when we are Christians. There are a lot of people out there that we may want to get along with, and they don't like Jesus. And that our job is not to align with them, but with, with the Bible, with, with the God of the Bible. Christian is not what we call ourselves, it's who we follow. Um, (coughs) I remember seeing the woman who posted on social media. um, It has been pointed out that the only people that like to talk about, vegetarians love to talk about being vegetarians. The only people that like to talk about their diet more than vegetarians or vegans who love to talk about being vegans. Um, and I, I'm reminded of a woman on, on, on social media who was talking about being a vegetarian and then in passing, and I eat bacon. And needless to say, people said, that's not how this works. And she said, well, I'm a vegetarian who eats bacon. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where people think that they can change the definition of a word and it's perfectly fine. Um, I'm a vegetarian who eats bacon. I'm... God doesn't play that game. He's not required to play according to those rules. You can call yourself a Christian, but calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Christians are people who follow God, and God is revealed in the Bible. And if we don't follow the biblical God, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. God won't recognize that. To make Jesus Lord of your life is not something that you say. It's a lifestyle based on what we do, based upon what we read in the Bible. It's not what we, the Bible isn't what we want it to say. The Bible isn't what people tells you it says. We read the Bible ourselves. We see what God is telling us, 
and we follow him. When we follow Jesus, we will be united with other people who follow Jesus, the real Jesus. Um, we should seek unity with other Christians. I'm excited. If you haven't heard, we're, we're hosting the Holy Week services this year that all the different churches in, in, in town do. And, I, and I, I'm, I am a firm believer in Christian unity. I am. I'm glad that we can do that this year. Uh, but we want to make sure that what we're pointing people to is the Bible, the biblical Jesus, um, not, not our versions of him, not what we want him to be, but a biblical Jesus. So that's my backdrop for what we're actually talking about today. Uh, and, and we've been looking through the basics of what we teach, in, in, in the, not just in the restoration movement. Hopefully, if we're biblical, hopefully what I'm covering is stuff that all Christians, I would pray, can, can agree with. Uh, a biblical foundation for our beliefs. Uh, we've looked at scripture. We've looked at the nature of God. We've looked at sin and salvation. We've looked at the church. And today I want to look at prayer, which is a huge subject. In fact, it's big enough that we're also going to look at it next week too because that one is big and important Uh, And it's a hard subject for a lot of people. And it's a hard subject for me. Prayer is really easy to talk about. I think it's a lot harder when you try to put it into practice. I think it's easier said than done. And I think one of the questions that I find myself asking, do I I even deserve to pray? Knowing knowing that prayer is coming before God. I don't deserve to be before him. I may have voted for some politicians, but I can't just walk into their office whenever I want to. Um, you have to set up appointments. And, and frankly, let's take the president of the United States. Oh, setting up an appointment is not going to do any good, right? I'm not going to get to walk in and, and, and give my compliments or complaints or anything. You can't just, if I can't just walk into the president's office whenever I want to, who am I to pray to the creator of the universe whenever I want to? Yet that's exactly what the Bible says we can do. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, I do have the confidence to enter the most holy place, but I don't always feel like I do. We can approach the throne in Jesus' name because he lets us, and he wants us to. His, the death of Jesus allows us to go, to go there. Because Christ died for us, we can pray to our heaven. And we don't have, unlike the Old Testament, we don't have to go, we don't have temple rituals to go through. We don't have to sacrifice animals and go to the temple once a year. And we don't have to do that. We can pray whenever we want to. And, and, and having that opportunity, isn't it funny that we don't so often take advantage of it? I, you all know the people, maybe you are the people, the people that buy the gym membership and then they never go. Um, having paid the money and they can go whenever they want to, that's why they buy gym membership, then they never go. Certainly in, in southern Illinois, hunting is a, is, a, is a big deal in southern Illinois. 
and I knew so many people that would buy that hunting license, and then they would just keep putting it off. We'll, 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 we'll go hunting next weekend. Um, and then the whole the season would be over, and they had never gone. Uh, always, always tragic. I assume it applies to a lot of things, people maybe that purchase Netflix and then never get around to watching it. I don't have Netflix, I wouldn't know, but I assume that that kind of thing exists. We have the right to go before the Lord whenever we want to in prayer. And then I wonder if we just keep putting it off. We'll do part two next week, tips and strategies and, and, and tough questions about prayer. But for now, I just want to hit the basics of, of why we pray. Um, the first reason that we pray is that God is worth it. He is worthy. That's what the word worthy means. He's worth it. Um, he deserves for us to pray to him. Now, there's two major parts to prayer, supplication and praise, um, asking and thanking. So I want to talk a bit about, about the thanking part. Why, why do we praise God? Why do we, why do we thank him? I had a friend. I did, I did a wedding for, for a friend back in Illinois. Uh, he didn't go to church. He wasn't, I don't know that he went to church a whole lot, but he was a friend, and he went to church a bit. And, and uh, I remember at the rehearsal dinner, he said, hey, I have a question to ask you. He said, I've always kind of wondered this, because I prayed for the meal. And, and he said, is it arrogant of God to expect us to praise him? Now, that's a reasonable question. I think that that's a reasonable question. I, I like those kinds of, somebody should ask the question. I like hard questions. And my response was, it is not arrogant for someone, for, for an Olympic gold medalist to claim their gold medal. They've earned it. It's not arrogant for me, if I'm an employee, to expect at the end of the week that I worked my paycheck. It would be arrogant to agree to a $10 an hour job and after a 40-hour week, instead of expecting 400 to demand 800 I think that would be arrogant if I hadn't earned it. Um, if It would be arrogant for someone who didn't earn the Olympic prize to expect it. It would be arrogant if God didn't make the universe. He is the creator of everything. Every breath I draw is because he programmed into my DNA the ability to breathe and to live and to be creative. Um, And all the good things in this life come from him. And it's not arrogant for the creator of the universe to expect for his creation to appreciate that. Um, He... He's not asking for something he has not earned. Um, he has offered us salvation that, above and beyond all, is, is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. I, I would say that prayer is the other half of worship. I really think that prayer and worship are two sides of the same coin. I think prayer is the more private side generally. Worship, it, worship worthy, worth, worth-ship, the related words, worship is assigning worth to God. In some ways, it's a bit like public prayer with, with notes. <laughs> and prayer that we can read the words to our prayer out of the hymnal, and we're all praying the same thing, and we're all on the same page. Songs still have those two aspects, uh, supplication and praise. Songs usually lean into the praise and thanksgiving aspect of our, of our worship, and that's a good thing. Uh, most of my, prayer, my private prayers seem to then fall into supplication, probably more than praise, and I think that that's okay. 
we all praise God for most of the same things. But in our individual lives, our supplications are going to be different. And everybody's got different things they're going through. And the things we're praying about change. Our hymnal isn't going to talk about Russia, Ukraine, or Israel, Palestine, or our our southern border, or anything like that. Because the things we pray about change. The things that we praise God about are usually the same things all the time. Um, Most of my prayers... Uh, my private prayers are, are indeed supplication. Now, some cautions on that. Um, Psalm chapter 66, verse 16. The psalmist says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. The psalmist says that clinging to my sins makes my prayer life ineffective. In fact, there are a lot of verses in the Bible on that. That's worth knowing. That I can't live my own life, sin to my heart's content, and then expect God to listen to me. James chapter 4 In James chapter 4, verse 1, James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James reminds us that prayer is not about us and what we want at the end of the day. It's about God. Our selfish desires can ruin the results of prayer. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that I can't pray for something that I want. You know, I may, I may say, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll use comic books because it's always my go-to, right? Um, I may say, oh, I, I hope I get this, this rare comic book that I'm looking for. It's selfish. I just shouldn't be upset if I don't get it. James says selfish stuff you're probably not going to get. And I need to recognize that that's not really the kind of thing that I probably should be praying for. Not that God is upset that, that I'm asking him for it or, or talking about it, but at the end of the day it doesn't matter, Right? Prayer especially is, is about things. Now, God loves to talk with us, and he loves to hear even the trivial things in our heart. But he prioritizes, and we should prioritize and recognize that the trivial stuff is trivial. It's not, there's nothing wrong about bringing it before God, but it's not the point of prayer. Consider the Lord's Prayer. I'm grateful that Jesus gives us an example for how we should pray Praise before supplication. Well, let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, 
Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, well, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, again, there's some call on my behavior, talking to God or worse, at God, while not, while not making any effort to live a Christ-like life, has consequences. So let me be clear. God takes prayer very seriously, and we need to as well. I think biblically, if we don't listen and obey God, that God is not obliged to listen or answer our prayers. I think that we've just looked at three different scriptures out of many that indicate that the results of our prayer do depend a little bit on, on our own lives and whether or not we're even trying to follow him. God doesn't owe us anything, and we can't command him with the correct rituals. Prayer is a relationship with God, and he deserves it. He is worth it. So if he is worth it, that, that's, that's the first part I want to say. The second part is that we, ha- we, we need it. Look with me at Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells us the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and I hope that we pay attention. We are fooling ourselves if we think that we do not need God's mercy as much as anyone else does. In our arrogance, let us not say, at least I'm not as bad as, and we start filling in the blanks. There is an arrogance that can creep in our lives, and I think it's certainly the worst for Christians. I think that's the point. I think that as Christians, it's very easy to pat ourselves on the back and say, I follow God, God loves me more, Um, I I am becoming more, we want to become more Christ-like. But we never want to forget that we're not there yet and that we need grace and that we need forgiveness and that in humility we're not there. We need to remember that we're still, we're still trying and we're still going. Christians can come to think that church is what makes church attendance and, and, and the things that we do is what makes us holy, but it's God's forgiveness that makes us holy. He washes our sins away through the blood of Christ. That's how we become holy. We need to draw close to God. St. Augustine, uh, the, the Christian writer from 1500 or so years ago, 
said that all of us have within us a cross-shaped hole. And we will do anything we can to fill that hole, but there is only one thing that is shaped such that it will fill that hole. Um, only, Only the cross of Jesus can fill that hole. God wants us, but he doesn't need us. I, on the other hand, do need him. I absolutely need him. Uh, he doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. If the Bible says that he tunes me out because of my disobedience, I'm the one that's hurt from that. I'm the one that's missing out. I need a relationship with God. I need to communicate with him. I need to obey him. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How do we do that? That's a terrifying verse. None of us are perfect. But I will say part of the answer to that, it is a team effort. Now, my fancy Greek word here again is synergism, um, which isn't even a word that appears that I know of in the Bible, but it is... um, or, or at least it's, it, we don't translate it that way if it does. But it is this concept of working with God. Um, we know that sin, S-Y-N, um, like synchronicity and other synonyms, um, sin means with and energy. We know that word. Um, synergism is to work together, um, but it's not an even pairing. And this is the thing that we need to understand. Imagine, I can think of all these different, all these different examples, but let's let's take... There's a time when I'm doing something. Go back to when we first moved here in Calypso was, was two. Imagine me doing something and moving something in the yard, and then she runs up to help, and she's pushing. She's not helping at all. <laughs> but I'm happy that she's trying, and I'm happy that she's putting in a little bit of effort because now it's a team effort. It's not an even team at all. But I love that she's trying to help. That's our team effort with God. He doesn't need us. But he does want us to, to be a part of the process and to work with him. It's not a fair team, but he partners with us, and his Holy Spirit transforms us over time. We've been looking at church, scripture, giving, the things that, that God is using to perfect us and to make us Christ-like. Um, if I refuse to go to church, if I refuse to read my Bible, if I don't give of the resources that God has given me to the offering plate, um, I, I'm not going to grow closer to Christ. I am refusing to be perfected. I am refusing the tools that God has given me that will perfect me and help me to become Christ-like, which is what a Christian is. Again, it's kind of like being a vegan that eats bacon. I can come to church and call myself a Christian, but if the only thing I do is I show up for an hour a week, listen, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, go home, if that's the extent of my Christianity, when I die, when I stand before God, and I'm not, and, and he looks at me and he doesn't see the image of Christ, I have no one to blame but myself because he has given me the tools to be perfected and to be Christ-like. And if I choose to refuse those, that's on me. And prayer is absolutely another one of those those ways that God perfects us. It's how he makes us Christ-like. It's not a a gift. It's not like there there are some people that are gifted with teaching. There are some people that have the musical ear, and some people I wouldn't let near a piano 
uh, if they begged me. Um, there, are some, there are some people that are good at administration. There are some people that are scatterbrained. Uh, there, there are people who are encouragers. That is a spiritual gift. Um, prayer is not a gift. We're all called to pray, to communicate with God. It is not a gift, it's a discipline. And as a discipline, it takes some effort to learn how to get better at it. It doesn't come easy, I don't think, to anybody. Um, I think even if you thought, if you're one of the few people that, that have prayer down and you think that it came easy, you, you, you had discipline when you were younger. Um, it's, it's a lot, therefore, as a discipline, it's a lot more like exercise or weightlifting or jogging or something like that that you have to put some effort into. Uh, you, no one runs a marathon out of the gate. You have, you have, to, put, you have to put work into it. I, I, when I did my first internship with Lincoln Christian College, they sent me to Londonderry Christian Church in New Hampshire, and uh, one, one of the elders had me over uh, to his house after lunch, and he and his brother and his wife and, and the brother's wife, actually I think the girls were married now that I think about it, um, after, after lunch, they said, we're going jogging. I said, I didn't bring running shoes. This did not sound like a fun thing to do after lunch. They found shoes that fit me. I really couldn't say no. They found shorts and a t-shirt because I was in Sunday clothes. We started out the door and I said, how far are we going? And the guys looked at me and they said, Ke- Kevin and Ken, they said, we, we run the Boston Marathon every year. We're, we're running the, what, 26.5 miles? New, pale look on my face. So you can run with the women. The women ran five miles that day. If you're not used to, and there's no such thing as flat terrain in New Hampshire. It's all up and down. I think they were doing it to embarrass me. I'm grateful that that was after my freshman year of college, and we did have to run a mile and a half for PE twice a week. So I could at least do the mile and a half before I fell apart. Um, that takes, that takes, I mean, they did that stuff all the time. That takes effort. That takes work. Um, if you, if you know, nobody just like, I think I'll run 26 miles today. Um, you, you have to build up to it. Prayer. It, it is a discipline. It takes work. And so, and that's okay. That, may, that Good news. If you think it's hard to pray, I'm with you. I am absolutely with you. We'll talk a little bit more next week then about how we get better at it. It doesn't come naturally, but that doesn't mean that we give up. Uh, it may not come easy. It may be a struggle, but the effort reaps rewards. Okay, um, We have a need, and we have a need for a relationship in particular. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find... Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, I, 
like these verses from Jesus. They remind me that my Father in heaven really does love me. God wants me to pray. Now, the IRS wants me to pay my taxes, but those are very different relationships, okay? When I say that God wants me to pray, it's not like the IRS wants me to pay my taxes, right? God loves me. It's not about guilt. It's not about duty. It's not about getting in trouble. It doesn't change that I need him, but he, he wants to communicate with me. You and I were created to be in a relationship with God. And we see that. We see that from, from the very beginning, from, from Genesis with Adam and Eve. We see that through the whole Bible. God wants a relationship with us. That's why it's so important that our prayers are communication and not just some ritual that we go through, memorized words that we're not thinking about. In incantation, Jesus compares it to the pagans who babble. Uh, it's not about flowery speech. It's just about talking with him. You don't have to worry about the words. Um, worry about the content. Uh, and, I, and I do think yeah. parents, every parent gets this. We, know, we hear that phrase all the time. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. That is not a true statement. Find any, any parent who has lost the bulk of their custody with their kids through a divorce. Find me a dad who only sees his kid every other weekend and ask him if it's about the quantity or the quality. Quantity matters. It doesn't matter what you're doing with your kids. You're with them. The time with your kid, even if you're just sitting on a sofa watching TV together, you're at least with them. The quantity does matter. And so I say this to say, and I, people therefore treat prayer, well, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. No, you're not going to squeeze into five minutes some awesome prayer that's going to make up for the fact that you never talk to God for the rest of the week. It doesn't work that way. It is better to talk to God about things that don't matter and just have that relationship with him. Spend that time talking with him. Don't worry about the words. It, Jesus specifically told us it's not about the words. It's not about getting the words right. It's about building a relationship. When Calypso and I hang out, it's not about having this fancy conversation. It's just about goofing off and having fun and, 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 and building that relationship, teasing each other. And, and, and God, wants that, that, God wants a relationship with you that you look forward to, that you enjoy, that you look forward to spending time with him. If a relationship is stressful, if it's about getting everything said right, then it's not a healthy relationship, is it? We've had those relationships with people that were friends that we've had to walk on eggshells around because they would get upset at everything. And they were, We've had those friends that were stressful friends. God doesn't want to be that with you and, and shouldn't be that with you. Um, one, one of the best passages I think about prayer is a book that we rarely quote, rarely use on a Sunday morning, is the book The Song of Solomon. Uh, I, this crazy book of erotic love poetry that most people wonder, how did that even make it into the Bible? Uh, I, I think it shows the loving relationship between a husband and a wife. And we know that the church is the bride of Christ. And so I think that there is quite a bit to take out of the, out of the Song of Solomon and, and, and teach us about a healthy relationship. It stands as a comparison of what God wants our relationship with him to be. So look with me at Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 16. 
My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks. The shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. All night long on my bed I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city. Through its streets and squares I will search for the one my heart loves. And so I looked for him but didn't find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Well, scarcely had I passed them. When I found the one my heart loves, I held him, and I wouldn't let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Turn, turn with me to the end of the book, to chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy unyielding is the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Our God loves us, and we should love him that much, that we chase after him, that we're, that we're distraught when we're not with him, uh, that, that our desire is to be close to him. It's a bit mushy, but the point stands. Be intimate with God. Be honest with him. I mean, we know that he can read our minds, right? He can read our hearts. Uh, we might as well be honest with him. He is our God and our Savior. He is also our Father. You know, he's not, a, he's not a cosmic Santa that grants wishes. You know, don't have a relationship with Santa. Um, and, and we're not all going to get what we wish for, what we pray for. Um, that would be crazy. Uh, living in a farming community, especially before I moved here, um, the farmers on the bottom of the hill were definitely praying for a different amount of rain than the farmers on top of the hill. We're not all going to get the same thing that we pray for, or, or everything that we pray for. That's just not reasonable. Um, prayer is personal. And it's kind of private. The Bible gives us many examples of keeping our prayer private. Now, I'm in favor of corporate prayer. I love it when we come together as a church and pray together as a church. It has its place. It can't be the only time that we pray. You guys all know the preachers that have probably been in churches that the preacher, you're convinced he waited all week till Sunday morning to try to catch up on his prayers. This is not where we are. Like everything else, church supplements. It supplements our Bible reading. It supplements our prayer. Um, uh, It it's what we should be doing already. And, and one more point, I will say. Prayer is not really the point. It, the point is drawing close to God. The, the point is not the Bible. The point is who the Bible points to. I've given the example. Vermont Power Drill doesn't make drills. Vermont Power Drill makes holes. Um, the drill is the way that they make holes. Um, that's, that's what we remember. The, the point of prayer is not prayer. We're not doing, it's not like, oh, I've got to get in 20 minutes of prayer and then I'm a good person. Um, I'm at 18 and a half minutes. How can I drag this out for another 90 seconds? That's not the point, is it? The point is to draw close to God. That's what we have to remember. Always our goal. Um, as we are perfect, perfected and made more Christ-like, um, God will use prayer to, to draw us close to him. Prayer is one of the best gifts that God has given us to draw close to him. And we, do it, we, and we can do it, so let's take advantage of it, not keep putting it off until it's, it's too long. We will look, we'll answer some tough questions next week. We're going to look at, you know, in Mark chapter 11, you know, when, when Jesus says, ask God whatever you want and he'll give it, 
How do we deal with that passage? Um, We've got an example in the book of Luke of of a widow who bugs the judge until the judge gives her what she asks for. How do, how do we wrestle with, with that passage? Um, and if God knows what I need, why do I even have to ask for it to begin with? Um, we'll hit that stuff next week and more in strategies on how to pray better. Um, but our, our hymn of invitation today is hymn... I don't... Is it? It is 709. Okay. Have you accepted that you need a relationship with God through his son Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The Bible is, either the Bible is lying about that or um, it is truth. Uh, and if the Bible is lying, why are we following it? and Why are we here? But if it's truth, you need to come to Christ through his son Jesus. He is the only prize worth having. We invite you, if you haven't made that decision, I want to talk with you. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.